0: Hey, I'm Pastor Diogo Carvalho, missionary at the Home Mission Board of the Brazilian Baptist Convention and professor of missiology at the Baptist Theological Seminary in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Welcome to the Missional Thinking Podcast. Missional Thinking Last week, we started to study discipleship its concepts and viewpoints. There's a lot of information about discipleship out there, and it is impossible to read everything is published about it. So, without daring to cover the entire subject, I'd like to present an overview about the possible understandings of the word discipleship in Christian literature. The first big distinction that we make in discipleship is between vertical and horizontal discipleship. In this episode, I'd like to approach the discipleship that I call vertical, that is, the sense of discipleship that has to do with our imitation of Christ, or our following of Him. I will leave horizontal discipleship for further programs. The reason why I call our following of Christ vertical discipleship is because it refers to our relationship with Jesus as His followers, This understanding is based on the calling to follow Jesus, as he said, follow me, and on obedience to his commands. A friend of mine, Pastor João Pedro Araújo, calls this discipleship pure or metaphysic, which is characterized by a vertical relationship with Jesus without any human mediation. It is under the inspiration of this idea that I call this understanding of discipleship vertical. This distinction between vertical and horizontal discipleship has also been made by Mark Dever in his book Discipling, How to Help Others Follow Christ. Dever uses the word discipleship to describe the act of following Christ, though he uses the verbal form discipling to describe the act of helping another person follow Christ. As a side note, for Portuguese speakers, the distinction doesn't seem so clear and both words sound like discipleship. In fact, that's the book's title in Portuguese, Discipleship. I may be wrong, but this distinction is not even clear enough in English. For instance, there is an excellent book published in 1981 that gathers the best writings of some extraordinary disciple-makers such as Robert Coleman, Leroy Imes, and Dawson Trotman. The whole book talks about how to engage Christians on discipling others, but its title is Discipleship. Therefore, it seems like the distinction between vertical and horizontal discipleship is useful for English speakers as well. As I already said, in this episode, I will talk about vertical discipleship, that is, our relationship with Jesus as His followers. I will do this by highlighting the works of the principal authors on this subject. The concept of discipleship as following is clearly taught in the Scripture, beginning with the Gospel. The Lord Jesus invited His disciples to follow Him with radical implications on their lives. The same invitation echoes today for all those who are willing to follow the Master's footsteps. It is impossible for someone to make a disciple without being a disciple of Jesus first. But I don't want to address biblical and pastoral issues here, nor do I want to repeat what we all know. What I'd like to do is to give a brief historical and theological overview of vertical discipleship, as proposed by its main authors. Then I will comment about some applications in search of effective evangelism in the 21st century. It's not easy to draw a timeline of vertical discipleship, much less in a 15-minute podcast. But I'll try to touch some main topics in the 2,000 years of church history. For that, I will borrow a classification done by the polemic German theologian Jürgen Maltmann, who also wrote about discipleship in the book The Crucified God. For Maltman, the first paradigm of discipleship is called the Pauline paradigm, which is identified with the Apostle Paul and based on imitation. Today, authors of one-on-one discipleship work under this paradigm. The second paradigm is the discipleship of the martyrs. I could mention several church fathers, but I'll quote just two of them, Ignatius of Antioch, who lived between 35 and 110 AD, wrote to the Tralians about his imminent martyrdom. Spur the beasts so they may be my grave and not let anything left from my body, so I would not be of any way to none after I die. Then I will become a true disciple of Jesus when the world doesn't see my body anymore. Another apostolic father is Polycarp of Smyrna, who died in 155 AD. In an impressive report, he declares his aspiration. Regarding the martyrs, we love them just as disciples and imitators of the Lord, due the unmatchable devotion they had to their king and master. I wish we could also be their fellows and co-disciples." Under this paradigm, imitating Christ means imitating him in his martyrdom. The third paradigm that Moltmann identifies is that of a monastic life, which is described well in the book Imitation of Christ, written by Thomas A. Kempis, a German monk who lived between 1380 and 1471. Kempis starts his work, quoting John eight. 12. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness. For him, the world was not a place to be transformed, but a vanity fair we should avoid, or better, run away from as far possible. For Kempis, true imitation of Christ was meant to take place in the solitary life of the monastery, through contemplation and renouncement of earthly health and pleasures. According to the monk, All who were called friends of God lived that way, aliens to the world. Friendships? Avoid them. Our true friends are the saints from the past, whom we should venerate and imitate, so we can join them in eternity. Although the work of Kempis brings profound thoughts about our personal devotion and humility, it was considered by Maltman to be a little, let's say, alienating, for him, This search for the inner light must turn into a devouring and outward fire that consumes and lights up the world around us. As an illustration of Jesus' followers who made of piety a stepping stone for the mission, Moltmann mentions the Anabaptists. To be fair to Thomas a Kempis, I need to say that he warned his readers about the importance of imitating good examples as well as being good examples for others. He alerted them, just as you observe others, so they observe you. Considering this idea of discipleship as imitation of Christ in the private life, as proposed by Kempis, many books about sanctification, devotional life, and spiritual disciplines could even be classified as discipleship works. But if this was the case, the list would be endless. Therefore, I will focus on the authors that approach explicitly the matter of discipleship as following, and mention only three. The first one is Karl Barth, a German theologian who lived between 1886 and 1968. In his book, The Call to Discipleship, Bart observes that the New Testament never uses the noun discipleship, but only the verb to follow or follow me. For him, discipleship comes from this follow-me calling, not from the Great Commission, and this is why I consider him to be an author of vertical discipleship. For Barth. Discipleship is the relationship that was established between the one to whom the order of following was given, that is, the disciple, and the one who calls. For this reason, in practice, the command to follow Jesus is identical to the command to believe in him. Under this perspective, Being a disciple is the same as being a Christian. We've already seen this understanding in episode 6 and how it was challenged by the missiology of the half of the 20th century. If you haven't listened to it, check it out later. Bart stood against a discipleship that presented itself as only a private beatitude. So he urged all those who call themselves Christians to accept the public responsibility that they took when they decided to follow Jesus under the penalty of becoming completely useless as witnesses of the kingdom of God. Another prominent author of Vertical Discipleship is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived between 1906 and 1945. His book, The Cost of Discipleship, or in the original, Nachfolge, literally, followership, was considered by Kolbar to be probably the best on this matter ever written. Bonhoeffer said that though the disciple is called individually and it's supposed to be discipled by himself, the disciple who runs towards invisibility is in denial of his calling, and the church of Jesus, which wants to go unnoticed, is not a church in discipleship. I could say much more about this book, It's truly worth reading. The last author that I will mention on vertical discipleship is John Stott. The reason why I find him a vertical discipleship writer is because he linked discipleship to the Follow Me text instead of the Great Commission. For Stott, Matthew 28, 18-20 addresses disciple-making, not discipleship. However, it doesn't mean that he underestimated the importance of the Great Commission, not at all. He only saw, in Matthew 28, a command to preach. For him, when we preach the gospel, we preach Christ, and so people are converted and become disciples. Therefore, discipling, the same word Mark Dever uses to describe the act of helping someone follow Christ, would be the first stage of the Great Commission, which comes before baptism. When the new believer learn about the conditions of this fellowship. Later, in his last book, The Radical Disciple, Stott highlights eight characteristics of the true disciple of Jesus. There, he finally uses the word discipleship, as he writes of the act of following Christ. But, like the other authors of vertical discipleship, Stott also sees the outward move that comes out of discipleship. In fact, The last characteristic of the radical disciple is death, which is the way to fruitfulness and for the expansion of the gospel in the world. As we can see in all these authors, although they don't relate discipleship directly to mission, the act of following Jesus always implies mission. The true disciple has a mission and must accomplish it. Otherwise, he is not staying in the path of discipleship. Once I was in a multiplying conference in the north of Brazil when I heard a friend saying, we are targets of Jesus' discipling relationships. That made a lot of sense. The same intentionality that we have in trying to reach people and influence them to follow Christ, Christ himself has taught us in order to make us better disciples through our daily communion with him. Indeed, our devotional life has much to do with our mission. We make disciples because we follow Christ. This fits together with what we have already said about the relationship between spiritual awakening and evangelism. Like Dawson Trotman used to say, When Jesus called his disciples, he said he would transform them into fishers of men. And since he always does what he promises, every one of us must test ourselves. If we are not fishing for men, we are not following him. May we, as disciples, leaders, and churches, let the mission flow from our discipleship of Jesus. In the next episode, we will approach the horizontal discipleship. Don't miss it.